I'm Dan Kendall, and you're listening to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. Did you know that this is just one of the many shows that we create? In fact, from original podcasts like this one, to patient and professional educational content, to digital marketing, and even podcast advertising, we do a lot more than simply host conversations. We're mission-based media. Visit our website to learn more at missionbasedmedia.com. Welcome to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition, your go-to podcast to learn about the transformation of healthcare in a region with over 4.5 billion people across more than 40 countries. I'm your host, Tony Estrella. Today, I'd like to introduce Xing Sun from Axon Next Business Innovation Center based in Shanghai. Through digital health, her team is evolving the traditional role of an insurer from being much more than a standalone financial partner. As you'll hear, AXA aspires to be an active leader within a broader healthcare ecosystem to support people for both prevention and medical care. Xing, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tony, and thanks for having me today. Oh, our pleasure. So tell us a bit more about AXA Next Business Innovation Center. What's the objective of that group? Yeah, so AXA Next Business Innovation Center is a business unit that helps to accelerate the innovation within AXA Group. So what we do day to day is we're trying to find the new trend and scout the startups that we think it will help that accelerate its innovations around the group. Here, I'm heading up a team in Shanghai, but our aim is to help our entities in Asia and try to connect them to the innovation ecosystems in Asia and build new business models for those entities. Great. And you're part of a larger organization. You have a global team that works at this across regions as well, right? Exactly. So we actually have uh, multiple teams across the globe. I'm here based in Shanghai, but I often travel to different parts in Asia. And we have a broader team in San Francisco. Our headquarters is actually in Paris. Okay, great. And so the objective of our episode today is to talk about insurance. And let's take a step back. And I want to give our audience a bit of an overview of when we talk about insurance in Asia Pacific, what do we mean? And Usually when I talk about insurance, I always like to bring it back to the individual, to the patient. So let's talk about a fictional person. Her name is Indira. And unfortunately, Indira is a woman who's been diagnosed with cancer. And across Asia Pacific, usually what that means is that she has to decide what the best care is for her and how to support that care. And cancer is a large cause of mortality and death in this region. For example, Singapore numbers, roughly 30% of all deaths in Singapore are cancer-related, and it can cause a lot of -of out-of-pocket costs for individuals as they want to manage their treatments. And when we think about insurance in Asia Pacific, we've got three broad buckets. We've got public insurance, which is from the government. We've got private insurance, which can be in the form of indemnity, which would be more medical reimbursement. But the largest form of insurance is critical illness, and that's also provided by private insurers. And my definition of critical illness is it looks like a life insurance policy, but the claims trigger is when someone has a debilitating health event, such as getting diagnosed with cancer. So if you bring it back to Indira, AXA is a company who has critical illness products that can support a person like Indira, and you probably have a range of other insurance products. So can you just briefly tell us a bit AXA as an insurer, how would you support someone like Indira who gets diagnosed with cancer? 
Sure. Okay. I think you touched on a lot of concept in the insurance industry. Probably I'll give you a background of how the insurance works in China first, and we're going down into how, in this case, we can help this client. So actually, in insurance industry, normally it's split into public health insurance and private health insurance. And in public social insurance in China, normally comprise of public health, public pension insurance, unemployment, work-related injury, and maternity insurance. Over the last two decades of effort, the Chinese government has achieved the social insurance coverage of about 97% of total population, which is a huge achievement compared to only about 3% in 2000. But the benefit payments for the covered people are still comparatively low. And it often varies by their employment status and by cities. A ballpark figures is normally around about 30%. So this is really low, especially it will create a significant out-of-pocket medical expense for someone like Madeira who is diagnosed with cancer. And so on top of the social insurance, there are private health insurance available at individuals' own cost. And one example are critical illness insurance or the long-term care insurance, just like what you just mentioned. They all fall into this category. And those products normally designed to cover the out-of-pocket medical expense, which is not covered by the social health insurance. Often they are reimbursement-based. So this is how the insurance works. So back to your individual case, I think you mentioned about the critical illness versus the life insurance. And life insurance often means it's a combination of protection as well as wealth creation. So you expect to receive some refund once you put the premiums into this fund for a long period of time. But the critical illness insurance or the long-term care insurance is really designed to protect people against something that's come up unexpected and help them to cope with the financial stress or help them to even find the treatments they need when they are in a situation like cancer. Right. And when I think about the transformation and innovation opportunities from an insurance perspective, Understanding this structure of critical illness and how it relates to life insurance is an important dynamic in that it's a long-term relationship, right? So a medical reimbursement policy would be once a year you change it. Here, it's like a mortgage, right? We're partners in my health for a long period of time, 5, 10, 15, 30 years. Definitely. And also just give you an, a data just to show you how the dynamics is like in Asia. I think this is also reflective of the whole Asia insurance industry is that I think in 2019, the private health insurance accounts for only 16% of the total insurance premium in China. It's a really small sector compared to the life insurance, which contribute to around about half of the insurance premium in China. We have seen the similar things in other parts of Asia as well. But the health insurance sector is really a high growth sector because of this pressing need for treatment and for the coverage, and also because of the rising living standard and increasing medical cost. I think over the last five years, we have seen um, double-digit growth, around about 30% of annual increase in the health insurance sector. So in the last few years, we have really seen a lot of innovative products and distribution emerged to meet those involving health needs. 
So, Shing, one of the challenges that insurers have is how they can engage their policyholders. Can you tell us about how your work is helping to create more touch points and connections with those people? Yeah. So as an insurer, AXA is always trying to provide more services beyond the insurance cover to their clients. And in order to do that, we partnered with a lot of ecosystem partners like digital health players. One example I can give you is that Emma, as you may know, is a concierge services developed by AXA to provide AXA customers to whatever health services it needs. And now it has 20 services available in Hong Kong, Philippines, and mainland China to address the customer health needs during pandemics. And during the pandemics, AXA also partnered with a lot of telehealth services provider to serve approximately 6.5 million people. And in China, this is done in partnership with Tencent Trusted Doctor. And in Indonesia, it was done with HelloDoc. And in Philippines, it was done with uh, my pocket doctors. And in Thailand, with BDMS Network Hospital and Peranai Hospital. Great. So it's a, quite an ecosystem of partners that have come together in each of those countries. So both local interactions as well as a more cohesive strategy that continues to carry a, a view which you could replicate in other markets. So can you tell us more about what is the strategy guiding that ecosystem development? Yeah. So this whole ecosystem partner strategy is not just tactical response in times of pandemics, but rather a reflection of this global movement of insurance industry from simply issuing a check to providing value-add services to the customer. And internally, we call it payer-to-partner strategy because in the healthcare ecosystem, the parties like patients, health providers, and founders, often government and private insurance, their interests are often not aligned. So this results in a lack of help for patients to find the treatment in need or founders could not intervene early enough to alleviate the situation and hence keep the cost under control. So the integration with services will enable the insurer to help patients to achieve better health outcome in a way to achieve the cost containment in terms of rising healthcare costs and aging population. Mm, that's great. And it's certainly necessary and helpful to the individuals who want and likely expect more from their insurance partner. Sure. Now, one other aspect of how digital health can fit in is when we think about the insurance model and how products get introduced to individuals, how they get sold. Tell us a bit more about what's the traditional insurance sales model, or as insurers call it, distribution. And in a country like China, how is that changing? Sure. Distribution often revolve around the insurance products. And bank insurance and agents are still the dominating insurance channel in China because the life insurance account for about half of the insurance premium. Customers often rely on those bank clerks and agents' explanations on the complex features of life insurance and rely on them to give recommendations. Whereas for relatively simple and small ticket insurance like health insurance and accidental insurance, Direct sales through call centers and online are quite common. But what's interesting these days, I think there are many unconventional distribution channels emerged, like super apps, 
e-commerce platforms like Rihailing or other apps that house affinity groups, and they all become an integrated part of insurance channel. Just a few examples I can give you in China is that, for example, a WeChat-based end-to-end customer journey for health insurance is not uncommon these days, where sales can really add their customers in their enterprise WeChat account to help them to purchase cover and make a claim. Another example is, I think, you know, TikTok, right? <laughs> Live streaming e-commerce is a mainstream for retail for many years in China, but it started to rise to become an insurance channel during the pandemics. So the insurers often leverage the influencer to disseminate the non-ads information, such as insurance plan comparison, policy selection knowledge for family, children, and elderly. And then they direct those followers to the dedicated WeChat group for further interaction and answer their questions and give advice. So how this is different to a traditional way of selling insurance is that in a traditional agent models, a broker often needs to engage with a potential customer right from the start. And you may take a few coffees uh, with the client before the purchase decision is reached. But this hybrid physical and digital distribution really disrupted this whole process. And it turns the whole process actually into, I think, what I say is a convey about on a manufacturing floor. It dissects the whole journeys into several sections and enhances the social media's application power and data analytics to really find the people's needs at the early stage of this process. And then they connect the prospect customers uh, to the dedicated brokers who can give more tailor-made advice. So in that way, it really disrupted the whole broker sales process and really increased the efficiency for the brokers. So the insurance model overall, especially this portion of trying to sell products or connect products with the right customers, becoming much more consumer-centric then. Exactly. Which is very different. You know, insurance as an industry is 200 plus years old. So there's lots of ways to improve through technology. So that's that's exciting to see. And one of the, you know, as we look to the future and how this transition of being consumer-centric for sales affects product development, there's now also then a need to help change insurance products so that they become more tailored to individual needs. And from bringing this back to Indira, if we looked at Indira and insurance products you could purchase now in the future, one of the things that I think is exciting innovation in insurance is the shift towards critical illness policies, which are not just defined by number of debilitating health events that are covered. So in China, it's like 170 plus. In a place like Singapore, it might be like 30, 40 plus. But now we're looking at how do you provide interventions earlier? So early diagnosis for breast cancer versus late diagnosis for breast cancer, or perhaps payouts for prevention and payouts for getting diagnosed and payouts when you have to get treatment, as opposed to just one lump sum. So those all create different levers for being able to tailor products for the individual. What's your view in the next two to four years as to what are some of the big milestones for insurance and how they are becoming more consumer-centric? Can be you know, products, can be the overall ecosystem. What are you working towards? I think insurance will evolve together with other ecosystem partners for sure. In two to four years' time, the pandemic is likely to pass with the development in vaccine. But 
we will not go back to where we were before the pandemics. Uh, because the pandemics has really accelerated the digital health in many fronts. One dramatic impact we have seen is a universal surge of adoption of online consultation around the globe. And in China, we have seen the similar increase between January and April last year when the virus spread was at a peak. But what's interesting to observe is that even after the pandemic stabilized in April last year, the adoption of online consultation provided by public hospitals didn't drop. And this creating a new normal of healthcare route in China. And hospitals see a real benefit of putting those services online, especially making the consultation and drug prescriptions available online for patients with a doctor follow-up or with a chronic illness condition. Apparently, these two categories patients account for 40% traffic for most of the public hospitals in China. So diverting those groups online can greatly ease the traffic pressure, which commonly existed in many public hospitals in major cities. Just to give you uh, data, I think up to October 2020, there were about 900 online hospitals in China, compared to 269 year before. And I think this number is likely to go up with a further push from the government. I would like to point out the rationale of this telehealth and online consultation in China here. Although China has been advanced in telemedicine thanks to mobile economy and digital adoption, but the medical resources are still scarce on the per-person basis. I think there is a data showing that there are only 1.8 physicians for every 1,000 people in China, compared to 2.4 in U.S. and 2.8 in the U.K., and those medical resources are disproportionately centered, concentrated at the 3A hospitals and the first-tier cities. And to help spread those medical resources, China is building community-based clinic, encouraging doctors to practice out of the public hospital one day per week, and easing the online hospital licensing issuing to help to divert the hospital traffic to internet. So if we take a bold prediction here, when medical resources is shifting from hospital to community and to online, and more health services could be available at home, which we described as home become a new hospital. And this opens up the windows of opportunity, not only for public hospitals digital transformation, but private sectors providing well-being services, prevention actions, or elderly care, or even for companies that provide seamless payment solutions connecting to the public health insurance. So those areas actually presents the opportunities for the private insurance in the next two to four years. So again, pandemics is showing us whatever can be assessed at home is really the next future trends and people may want to see. We will need to still go to see a practitioner at healthcare centers, but as much as we can move all of that from the hospitals back to home, then this will be the last mile to the healthcare transformation. And we have a role to play here as a private insurer. That's inspiring. It uh, certainly will create greater outcomes and more effective use of healthcare for individuals. And to your point, solve that gap that's existed for a while, which is the lack of access because of the disparity in terms of population to number of physicians. So can't wait to see that future become a reality. 
Yeah. Well, we're coming up on time on this episode. I'm sure our audience would love to continue to stay in touch and hear more about you. What's the best way for them to follow you or get in touch with you? Uh, they can find me easily on LinkedIn. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Thanks so much again. Thanks, Tony. Thanks for having this interesting discussion with me. Thanks, Xing. And that's a wrap on this episode. As I mentioned, the show notes will include your LinkedIn information for everyone to reach you. Before I go, here's how you, our audience, can support us. Please share this podcast with others. And if you subscribe, you'll get updates on new episodes and other content. Through my website, www.toniestraya.com, you can learn more about my writing and links to reach me on Clubhouse, Twitter, WeChat, and LinkedIn. And finally, please visit our website at digitalhealthtoday.com to hear other episodes from our podcasting team. This show was researched and written by Taliosa and produced along with mission-based media. The sound and music was by Ivan Yurich. And until next time, I'm Tony Estrella, and thank you for listening. Hey, Dan Kendall here. Thanks for tuning in to Digital Health Today, Asia Pacific Edition. This episode may be over, but there's plenty more where this came from. Just visit our website to find other great shows featuring digital health leaders and innovators. Find us at digitalhealthtoday.com. That's digitalhealthtoday.com.